The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your host. Now we welcome our regular podcasters. We've been in the middle of a series on universalism, and the closer we get to the end of this series, the more intense these doctrines have to be talked about. And today, our study is going to be slicing and dicing eschatology. Someone locally here, please... Tell me what eschatology is. The study of end times. Okay, the study of end times, just the word eschatology. There's one particular universalist that I dialogue with because I need more answers really than probably this person is wanting. I want to know what these leading universalists have in their minds in regard to classic thinking that most into what Christians have. Eschatology is a normal, natural, neutral arena topic in our theology, in our theological discussions that we're not afraid to talk about. The term eschatology actually says there's an end. Would it surprise you if I said that Many, if not most, of these universalist leaders cannot even dialogue for 2.5 minutes on what eschatology is. They don't spend any time in eschatology because they don't believe there is a doomsday. They don't believe there's an end time. They don't believe that the world's going to be cracked open the fires and flames from the old cursed earth is going to consume and God's going to throw this globe into outer darkness. They don't believe that. A universalist at 602-292-2982 is a reconstructionist. What man destroys through their irresponsible decisions, this is a quote-unquote, When man destroys the earth through their irresponsible decisions, it is the responsibility of the members of the Universalist Church to clean up the mess, restore the earth back to its original state. Environmentalism. The world of organics. And, 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 when you look at the whole world of Reconstructionism, you will cover the majority of businesses, churches, political systems on the face of the earth. I want you guys to throw out five popular positions in the world we encourage our children to fulfill. I'll throw out the easiest. When you grow up, son, you could grow up to be a doctor. If you put your mind to it. A lawyer. President. 
Well, that's point zero 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 one. I get that one. Janitor. They don't all have to be powerful positions. Hairdresser. Give me one more. Coach. Those five positions that you just mentioned, every single one of them is to stop the destruction of something happening in that arena. To be a doctor, let's just pick medical doctor. You're trying to stop the process of death in a human body. Hairdresser, you're trying to stop the destruction of these dead cells that are pouring out of your skull. Trimming it, making it look pretty, making death look pretty. I mean, the analogy is there. Janitor, can you imagine? I mean, even a week if I go by in this building and not <laughs> dust and clean the edges and blah, blah, blah. There's cobwebs and destruction starts showing up immediately. Mr. Janitor, a lawyer, you're stopping the process of death. <coughs> Coaching, you're stopping the process of deterioration of stupid decisions that whoever it is that you're coaching. You see, the, the positions of life are to try to stop the process of death. I'm saying this to you, not that our children should not be doctors and lawyers and Indians and chiefs. I'm saying this to you to say you need to understand how easy the movement of Reconstructionism is in the world today. To try to block out. To try to block out. Doomsday. Okay, stay with me on this. 602-292-2982. I love hearing from you folks because anytime I tamper with the personal positions and careers of people is when I get that text. Isn't that interesting? They can listen to me and, and all of these interesting viewpoints that Finney has about the theology of God, but if he starts tampering with my career, that's when you're going to hear from me. 602-292-2982. If your career is not building the kingdom of God, you are facing a God who's about to put you in last place. You'll finish the race in last place, not first. So when people talk to me about these overachievers who are, have always been in first place and it seems like God's not paying attention to his own theology and putting them in last place or teaching them a lesson that success does not equal salvation... Their day is coming. The most successful person you possibly could think of who died successful, there's someone who's going on a currency bill here real soon, who was the wife of a president, who died more successful than her own husband. Her husband died with rumors and wars of rumors and all kinds of stuff that he was faced with on the last breath that he took. 
So let's pick someone who passed the test of who we're going to put on a currency bill. They did well to the end. You see, it's on the other side of that bill. It's on the other side of that last breath. And if she had the indwelling life of Jesus Christ, she will see what it was all about. And she may have been one of those people who didn't want to be put on a currency bill. See, those people shall be remembered for eternity and God's going to make a point of it. Then there are those who were extremely successful here on earth and they died. Successful. And they're going to get on the other side and be the lowest of the lowest in the pit of hell. Forever. Forever. In last place. It's your choice. So servant leadership, servant living is pretty critical. And it does not mean that you do not become the very best in your leadership skills or whatever your spiritual gift is. Maximizing the spiritual gift in you is his gift in you, which the manifestation comes from him. So when you maximize him in you, it isn't exalting yourself. It's exalting the gift life of Jesus Christ. The second coming scares us to death if we do not understand the proper perspective of the end times. One of my favorite guys, Randy Alcorn, out of his book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity, which, if you go to the website of IOM America and click on the financial beliefs, you're basically going to see a list of beliefs that his ministry encouraged us to adopt into our ministry with a warning. It'll put you in last place because you won't be able to borrow to make your ministry larger. Your ministry will have to remain the size that it is according to the divine will of God and his prosperity. Here's what he says about the end times and money. It's curious that the church has become the most tight-fisted at the very time in history when God has provided most generously. There's considerable talk about the end of the ages, and many people seem to believe that Christ will return in their lifetime. But why is it that expecting Christ's return hasn't radically influenced our giving? Why is it that people who believe in the soon return of Christ are so quick to build their own financial empires, which prophecy tells us will perish? And so slow to build God's kingdom with those funds, which I had that piece. He says, and so slow to build God's kingdom. Here's what I say, at the base of all universalists, 
they carry a belief that rubs in the face of Jesus. Quote, unquote, peace, prosperity, and the pursuit of happiness. Where have you seen that term pursuit of happiness before? The Constitution of the United States of America. Our very core beliefs of this country are based on universalism. Success. Happiness. Prosperity. Religious freedom. Just the single term of religious freedom. I had a discussion with a gentleman last week here in this building about the Constitution. And he was all upset because this new decision with gay marriages rubs in the face of our Constitution. And I said, well, okay, let, let's set that one aside. Could we do this religious freedom thing? And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, is religious freedom in the Constitution? Well, yes. Are you upset about what the Muslims are doing and consuming in our country? Well, yes. Do you believe it's against our Constitution what they're doing? Well, yeah, some of the things. Do you understand that the statement religious freedom is something they're just now beginning to take advantage of after all these years? There's nowhere in the Constitution that mentions the name of Jesus Christ and the rights that we have in Him, which we have none. So when you're upset that someone's taken advantage of the religious freedom that has been granted to us by our forefathers, and you're getting upset, and you're spending bukus of money suing individuals to try to prove that they are coming against our Constitution, if their religious beliefs say that they must slaughter, murder, per uh, persecute, or whatever else it is in their Bible, their Koran, or whatever their book is, we obligated ourselves to release them to be free in America. And that's what's happening. I would like to dialogue with you more on that because that's a big problem today. People using this Constitution in ways that they don't understand. That the original forefathers put it in place as a universal statement of anyone who lives in this land, not Christians. So to answer your question, why is it Christians the always the ones left out with this constitutional battle? Because the Constitution isn't about your Christianity. It's about religious people, no matter what they believe. That's why they win in court. Our word today of eschatology, we need to understand that Jesus actually is. The personhood of Jesus is our destiny. Where he goes, we go. How is that possible, guys? Where he goes, we go. Whatever his destiny is our destiny. Right, we're actually put in Christ. If we're literally put in Christ, wherever he goes, we go. 
So that verse adds a different kind of meaning. Where you go, Lord, I shall go. I will follow you all. The... No, the, I have no power to do that. Because he's going to walk in some pretty dangerous places. But see, if I appropriate who I am in Christ, where he goes, I'm just going to automatically go. And I'm going to have to deal with the same persecutions and distresses and sufferings that Christ did. Christ himself says, for you will suffer suffer as I have suffered. suffered. Why? Because we're in him. And as he approaches suffering situations, and for some crazy reason, Jesus, this is a little difficult for me to embrace, I will admit, today, after many years of salvation, why you walk into the face of rejection. Knowing I'm inside you. Why do you walk into distress, into difficulty, into persecution, into suffering? Why? Because you know the bride of Christ has got to walk right there with you. Because that's where true ministry is. Is expressing those who endure to the end. Those shall be saved. If you only knew how many salvations have occurred because of Jim Elliot being killed by the very people he was ministering to. And now that tribe is known all over the world, generation after generation, as being one of the most kind, generous, sweet, loving tribes in the world. His death is what produced his life. But yet here in America, we sue people if they call us a name. It's called name deprivation. I think we have some things uh, backwards. True love of God covers everything from the beginning to the end, the Alpha and the Omega, because God is love. Whoever God is, is who Jesus became. The reason why there's 225 names of Jesus is because he was given every name of his father to him. He became the titles of his father. That's why there's a verse that actually says that when Jesus himself said that, that I am your father. Well, wait a minute, I thought you were the son. Those 43 primary Hebrew names Jesus became. Then all these other names that were given and associated with Jesus he became. And then he gives his identity to his bride. So someone please here tell me how many female names there are in our world, including every single country. This is a 602. 292, 2982. I hope I hear from people on this one because this is so offensive, it's ridiculous. Ladies, listen carefully. There are zero female names in the entire world. I know some of you have gone to the courts and you have sued for a male name. Some of you have gone into the courts and made up your own name and said this will be your last name. But see, ladies, that's called a lifestyle of a lie. That's called a lifestyle of rebellion. 
you're refusing to carry on the name of your father. There are no countries in this entire world that have female names. Because females are to adopt the name, the identity of who they marry. Whatever identity is a part of that man becomes your entire identity structure. This is how sins of the forefather get carried on. Satan himself must honor this rule. But yet what do we have? A brand new decision in the United States of America that says gay marriages are not only legal but it is our religious right. But I'm here to tell you gay marriage people you have to come adopt our children that bear our names to carry on your legacy. So you still haven't stopped the name structure of God. Even though you'll give them your last name. One of you, or both of you, is what I'm seeing in the news, that you're bearing both of your father's names. So this is starting to look very ridiculous. You have to steal our children in order to have children or in order to train those children up. And statistics are already proven that children that are raised by gay parents are in disagreement to your gay marriages. You'll see that even more 15 years from today because it doesn't work. The reinvention, the reconstruction of your, through your own religious rights does not prove that God is wrong. It proves he's right. You have no name, ladies, because you are to bear the name of the male child of God. And if you think that God's going to reorganize your belief system to match the morbid design of Satan, the father of lies. His beliefs will not change because I'm upset about some human structure. I bear his name. I bear his title. I bear his mission. I bear his goals. I bear anything that he says is truth is who I am. Now we can look at the end times. Without doubt, the primary concern and push of universalistic teaching is the final destiny of mankind. The focus of their teaching is not on the biblical revelation of the end times, but on the humanistic eschatology consideration of where men will end up. Big difference. In particular, they have what might be seen to be a compassionate pursuit for non-universalists. It's kind of like we have this, this pursuit for unsaved people. They have the exact same pursuit 
for non-universalist. So their evangelistic approach to the world is to move non-universalists to a universalistic thought. Thus they have a conversion. Universal salvation has been accepted by that new convert. And they react strongly to what they regard as the intolerant, exclusive belief that indwelt Christians like us have about the end times. Because it says some people are going to be losers. If, you, if you're not making this connect to the sin of competition, there's something wrong with your thinking. I am telling you, bluntly, clearly, in order for Satan to connect his final dot to have a complete freedom of world religion, he has to have this final piece connected. Or it won't work. They will not say. Some will be losers and some very few exclusive indwelt Christians will be winners, conquerors. They won't say it. And maybe this is just a blessing God's given me and a handful of other teachers where we have literally discovered the connection between competition, I must win, and universalism. There are no losers. There's no losers on this team. Really? Then why are you pushing me to strive to win? Because winning requires a loser even in God's plan of salvation. Is that true or not? The only way to be a true winner is to be adopted in to the winner who required his son to be a loser so that he may be the eternal winner for eternity. He, he took care of the whole plan, the whole mission for us. So you see, the door of opportunity of the mission that God gave, you know, a small little preacher in God's large vineyard that is just, you know, little sections of God's vineyard where he has called me to minister Laodiceans. And that's the mission he gave me two weeks after I had my heart failure. For I've called you to be a minister to the Laodiceans. You see, there's some that have been called to be ministers of one of the other churches. But my calling is to minister to the Laodiceans, the lukewarm universalist, who are damaging the church with happiness, success, prosperity. There is a hell. And it saddens me to know that over 90% of the people that have ever been born are losers. They're going to die losers. And they're going to burn losers for eternity. Because they refuse to understand and accept the doctrines of the true living God. That there is a provision. There is someone that he sent to pay the cost of that loser. 
to be adopted in, put in him, put in you so that you can be a part of a conquering, winning Savior forever. Not because of your works, not because of your efforts, but because God chose a winner for us. But yet he had to suffer like a loser, like you. And then we have trained our entire society to be winners, to compete, so that this final connection that Satan's got figured out will never make sense to people on earth. They'll never step up and say, Excuse me? What did you just say? There's no losers? Are you kidding me? The whole gospel is based on the concept of losers. People going to hell. How much more of a loser can you get than that? Does someone got something more here? There's nothing that communicates a bigger loser than someone going to hell. <laughs> and these people are saying, it doesn't exist. We're all, we're all good people. Some just are confused about their decisions. Really? You're all God-haters. And you say your love wins all the time? When true love covers the whole gamut of the Alpha and Omega. All the end times. Here's what they say is damnation is but dust from the dark ages. That's a quote-unquote from a universalist. Your thinking, Finney, is just dust blowing in my face from the dark ages. Really? They suggest the impossibility of ultimate damnation regarding it to be incompatible with the love of God that always wins. Yes, God's love does always win. Even when some people go to hell, it's still won. If the Laodicean church is the end times church, I'm in trouble. All men should find the thought of eternal punishment to be detestable. It causes me to weep often. But what kind of person would find perverse pleasure in anyone having to suffer the humiliation of hell? When I think about some of the people I've admired in my life most likely are not in heaven, that's not a pleasant thought. And for people globally to say, tapping someone's casket and say, I'll see you soon, Grandpa. Really? Even if you go to hell with Grandpa, you're not going to see him. Because hell is going to be separate categories of humanity. You will be kept from relationships. Because that is hell. You will suffer the eternal separation from God. Forever and ever. You'll find no comfort anywhere in the pit of hell. No, None. The only way that I can say when I tap the casket of someone is if they endure to the end with the gospel and faith and life 
of the indwelling life of Jesus Christ and say, Johnny, I'll see you soon. Then it will work. But see, we don't, we don't like to be discomforted. So we do whatever we can to have comfort. To avoid nasty thoughts of the end times. God certainly does not desire that any person should experience such, which is Second Peter, which is what we read earlier today, Second Peter 3.9. This does not mean, however, that allowed to subjectively deny that there are ultimate consequences to man's choices and that a permanent place of separation does not exist. It does exist. Do you know why people kill themselves? That's a lot of despair to put a gun in your mouth, pull the trigger, or take a bottle of pills or to walk off a short pier into a big ocean. Loneliness. And they have no concept that they went from a 0.05% loneliness on Earth to an eternal loneliness that can't even be measured. That's why suicide is so dangerous. <laughs> Satan's good at that one. In reaction to some radically false religious concepts of God's vindicative and vengeful judgment that allegedly consigns some men to hell even before they are born, universalism often rejects any sense of divine judgment and denies, of course, the existence of hell. So I'm asking you this question, listener. Did you know that universalists do not believe the world will end? There is no end. It will always evolve. See, the demonic deception of evolution has been clearly reported and documented that it is a religion. Have you ever heard that before? Darwinism is now a religion? They are correct. Because if you follow evolution all the way through, what you're going to have, which I have a diagram, I forgot to post it for our, our, our slide today, but if you follow evolution all the way around, you turn into, this is well documented, you turn in the cycle, shows that evolution, wherever they started it, it moves its way into becoming your own God. That's what evolutionists do not want to answer. Well, what are we evolving into? What's the goal here? It's to be your own God. I got that from a guru from India who believes and teaches and travels to universities here in America and teaches the evolution of science that they know as gurus the ultimate goal is you become your own God and you decide what is right and righteous and wrong and unrighteous. How in the world can our society fulfill the scripture and revelation of what was once wrong is and what is once right is how can a whole society be like that without this? 
We have to decide what's righteous. And you can't do that unless you become God. And what was the primary reason why Satan tried to take the chair of God? For I can be as you. I could do this. I mean, golly, you're an idiot. If you think you're a supreme God, I could do this. Get out. Get out of your chair, Father. Let me tell you what to do. And that's exactly what he tempted Jesus with the entire time that Jesus was on the face of the earth. Submit to me as your daddy. And I will give you Jerusalem. I will give you success. You go back and read exactly what got recorded by Jesus of what Satan said to him. It's filled with success, education, and profitability. And welcome to his world because that is what we've developed today. They believe that human kindness and harmonic partnerships working together will block out any form of doomsday destination. They are classically Reconstructionist. To agree to the eschatology of Indoor Christianity would be agreeing that there is sin in the world. There are consequences of these sins. It would also say that there's a Savior. It also would say there's a need for a Savior. Why? Because of evil in the world. And if they say there's evil in the world, because if you ask a healthy uh, universalist teacher, they don't want to use the term evil. Because evil, any logical discussion, will move from if you believe in evil, you believe in Satan. Satan. If you believe in Satan, you believe in hell. And if you believe in hell, there is truth to God separating the two. Just one word. Evil cannot be discussed. Some universalists retain the view of hell as a temporary reserve and it's often associated with the early uh, Catholic view of purgatory. Meaning this, that there are actually some universalists who do believe in this holding tank. And there's truth being stated by the way Jesus had to descend to the lower parts. This Hades that's going to be hell someday, pay the penalty. He went and got these saints who were in this holding tank. And he first was seen before the Father, and then these saints were brought into heaven. So there are certain individuals from the Old Testament who actually were brought into the presence of God. So there are some universalists that do not discuss the idea of this hell. They will discuss the idea of this purgatory, this holding tank. Because when you talk about murderers and you know very, very wicked people, there needs to be this purification room, evidently. So it was a bit of a surprise to understand that by some of the universalists actually teaching this purgatory thing, actually got me thinking about some of my research of the Catholic Church. 
and purgatory. Catholic Church was known as the first ecumenical church that was moving for world religion. So I started thinking about, this is a whole lot older than I thought. And that this purgatory seems to be a purification tank, purification room. Because they had no answers to the end times in the pit of hell. So there are some who believe, okay, whoever this Christ is, and I'm not really a believer of the universalist thought, or I'm not a believer in Christ Jesus. Are there consequences to that? Well, the worst that I can come up with is that there is this holding tank, this purification room, after they die. So what that would require of people on earth is to pray to dead saints. Have you ever watched a television or been at a funeral where the priest is doing things to clean up that person's life, to take them through some final rituals, to pray them into heaven? That's what we're talking about. So this past week I was able to make a connection that I was not able to make before. So hell then can uh, be viewed as a means of God's grace, a place of correction wherein people have a second chance even beyond this life. Although, keep in mind, they don't call that hell. And the change and accept God's salvation, this universal salvation, because anyone who dies, anyone who's born and who dies, who ends up in this tank, is going to experience the universal salvation. This is where it all gets cleaned up. So they're kind of confessing to our, our salvation story, but it's in this bizarre weird way. And of course, once they enter this tank, it's over. Satan knows that. If he could get the majority of the world religion to believe that even if you died a murderer and that wicked, you'll get cleaned up in this, this holding tank, this purgatory as long as you have some people praying you out of it. Well, what if they don't? You stay there? Question that doesn't seem to be able to be answered. So in the end, though, hell will be empty and uninhabited, for all universalism, by definition, implies that all men, without exception, will be in the presence of God. So therefore, universalism denies the possibility of a final separation and segregation of mankind into eternally fixed categories of saved and lost. And that's obviously what we believe. Are you indwelled by Christ? Or are you going wherever his house is? Are you indwelled by Satan? Or are you going to go wherever his house is? That's what we believe. It's all about the Father. There shall come a day when he will restore the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. At least I come and smite your earth with a curse. If you're bitter towards your father, if you're manipulating your father, if you're having to play the role of your father, you might want to get on your knees. All dichotomy and, dis and distinction is denounced as dualism, a word that they like to use, 
for they cannot accept the separation of good and evil. And that is why they can switch it. To have those end time scriptures become a reality today. What year is this? 2015. Let's run it back to 2000. Well, let's just start with the fresh millennium. 2000, 15 years ago. What would be your common, natural, neutral response to a human in our society that says, we're going to have gay marriages in 15 years? As common as any other marriage. You're out of your ever-loving mind. That'll never happen. Not in America, it won't. So how about 2015? I want you to go out there and say to someone this week, hey, in 15 years, it is going to be a normal, natural, neutral marriage for men to marry 12-year-olds. Yes, and our, our child abuse laws will protect our children. Really? Do you know how many children abuse their parents? How many parents are afraid to correct their children because they're afraid their child's going to abuse them? There's no laws protecting the parents yet. That's out of Jesus' mouth. There shall come a day when a child will rise up and what? Kill their parents. Our society is going to shift where children being in charge is the norm and parents acting as children to the child is the norm. That's coming within 15 years. No, that'll never happen. Man's freedom of choice necessitates that the consequences of man's choices can go in both directions. Scripture is abundantly clear that the ultimate destiny of man is in either heaven or hell. It is not that God's purpose is anyone to, to go to hell, even though hell is actually a result of God's loving respect for man's freedom of choice. God's love involves respect for freedom of choice, even the choice of unbelief and rejection of himself and what he has done for man in his son, Jesus Christ. A thought that universalists cannot embrace without the revelation of the Holy Spirit. You see, it isn't about our choice, as the bumper sticker says. It's about his choice. And there actually is a verse that says, unless the Holy Spirit draws you to the Father, you will not know him. The focus of Christian thought, however, should not be on the final destiny and destination. Eschatology, eschatological salvations are rarely true because you are scaring people out of the pit of hell. You're scaring people into that decision. So much of our 
evangelizing techniques that have entered the church over the past hundred years are scare tactics. Scaring people out of making a decision that could send them to hell. When in reality, they haven't even been tested yet. Can't tell you how many calls or emails or texts that I get of having me fix a fix it. God's got fixed on someone to fix them from always trying to fix themselves. And when I have to give the advice, let it go. Let them self-destruct. Let them go to prison. Let them let it go. They don't follow that advice, of course. Because they want me to call them up, to text them, to email them, to scare them out of hell. Unless the Holy Spirit's drawing that person, they will continue to breathe the consequences of their decisions that are drawing them to hell. Even futuristic concerns about our, our destiny in heaven can become like idols to us. Everything's about heaven, 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 and I got my ticket and you know, whatever. And in reality, you might not. Our primary desire should not be for a future place of destination, but our desire should be to fix our eyes upon Jesus. What is he doing in us? What is he doing through us? Here's our identity statement for today, folks. In the study of who we are with and with and participation in the life of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we have the assurance of participating in the permanence and endlessness of God's eternal life. Those who reject God's life in Christ also have the opportunity of permanence and endlessness in their identification and union with the evil one. It's the same. There's no difference. So who's your daddy, I guess, is what I'm going to ask you today. Because you're going to get the same thing. You're going to get the benefits of Satan or the benefits of Christ Jesus. Who's your daddy? You say, well, I wouldn't really call those benefits that I'm going to get from Satan. Really? Because that's how we tend to live our lives in such a way is in the benefits that are in the world. Successes that are in the world. Those of you who are following Satan and don't realize it, and those of you who are following Satan and you do realize it, you better realize one thing, and that is the benefits that if you want to get out of your demonic end times, endless appointment with your union with Satan, you better get those benefits out of life today. Spend your cash now. Make your cash now. Be famous. Get your face on the cover of that Sports Illustrated. Because those days are coming to an end. And your benefits that you receive are going to actually be the consequences that God has appointed for Satan. The last things of the eschatological destinies of heaven and hell are not just terminal locations. Rather, they should be understood as a self-chosen inherited identity in Satan that came 
with them on the day that they were born. And this is why a rebirth is required for a new identity in Christ. The nicest person that you can possibly think yourself to be or the nicest person who you know Remember this, there's two sides to the tree of knowledge. What are they? Good and evil. Love, hate, heaven, hell. So there are many people who think they're going to heaven because of the goodness they see, feel, sense, or experience in their soul. But I'm announcing to you today, you're going to hell. Unless you have the everlasting identity and life of Jesus Christ and dwelling in your mortal being. That is your ticket to salvation. Not the proof of the pudding that you're a pretty good person. Because your works are identified by a prophet in the Old Testament as a woman's menstrual rag. The best people that have ever lived on the face of the earth and have been the best society improvers are rubbing shoulders with Satan today. So those who are truly of and in Christ Jesus, I want you to watch and listen for one primary manifestation. And that's the humility of nothingness. Watch for that. And that indwell believers can have a striving competitive edge to them, but confront them and see if they're willing to step down from that and say, you know, you're right. So you can say, no, I'm not right. God's right. Are they correctable? Are they teachable? Are they changeable? If they're not, then don't say to them, I believe you're unsaved. Just keep that close to your heart and pray for them for the bearing of the witness of their salvation in Christ Jesus. Not everyone who says they're saved is saved. Next week, part nine, is the doctrines of Satan. And I'm going to bring some of that stuff forward next week. So you can make the connection yourself of Satanism to universalism. Good, evil, same tree. And we'll shut the door on this discussion. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at iomamerica.org. That's iomamerica.org.